0: You are listening to the podcast from Isaiah Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, all right. Isn't that nice? Great job with that. Welcome everybody today to our first Sunday at three services officially. Great to see you here at 11 o'clock. Our scripture reading as we get going will be from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You can follow along. On the screen. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's the reading of God's word today, all his people said. Amen. Amen. Yeah, again, welcome whenever, wherever you are. Glad you're here with us today. Today is going to be, this message is going to be a little different, but that's okay. Would you say this with me? Say, different is good. Different is good. Good. I don't feel like you were sufficiently convinced right there. <laughs> Said it. Like Morgan, you didn't make me say it. Okay, different is good. Now you just had read to you the first verses of what has come to be known as the Gospel of Luke. But here's my question. So what? Why should you care? Why should you care? Why does it matter we read from the Bible? Now, if you're like me and you grew up in it, you're like, well, that changed quickly. If you're like me that you grew up in a church, you know, the answer you were given to the question, why should I care was something along these lines. Why should I care about this verse? Why should I care about these verses? Why should I care about these stories? You know, the answer, because more often than not, the answer you were given boiled down to this. You should care about what you read in the Bible because it's in the Bible. But if you asked, why should I believe it? Why should I believe the Bible? The answer was, because it's the Bible. All right? And then if you asked, well, why should I believe about anything about God or faith or church or anything? Why should I care about Jesus? Again, the answer was, because the Bible says so. And then you thought, well, are you telling me, are you telling me that I should believe the Bible because the Bible tells me to believe the Bible? Hmm. Okay, all right, and increasingly, how about this, for large amounts of people, maybe even for you today, besides those answers being fairly exclusively circular in logic, for many of you, those answers just aren't enough anymore. And maybe, maybe, while believing for the sake of believing, it may help people. You know, that's good. Maybe helping you, that's good. For others of you, not so much. It doesn't help anymore. Maybe, because maybe somebody started asking you some questions you couldn't answer, or you, you read something online. Or you had a professor ask you some questions, or you got into a conversation with a friend, or you watched a show, or you read an article. And maybe those things, they started to erode, or to challenge, here's the word of the day, deconstruct. Which you have been taught. And while you're still here, well, maybe you've got like one foot out the door. Or maybe maybe it's not, that's not that the case at all for you. Maybe, thankfully, you're good, and that's a good thing. Like, your faith is intact, and you're fine. I hope that's the case. And while those answers still kind of help you, if you're honest, you're becoming aware that for someone you know, maybe even for someone that you love, they don't. Maybe you're becoming aware that those kind of answers aren't always working for your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your kids. Or your grandkids anymore. Like they may ask, are we really expected to believe a book that was written a long time ago by a bunch of different writers? All men, by the way. Most of whom didn't even know each other. Like we're we're people who have science and answers in the internet now. And we know that all ancient people believed in some kind of gods. And we know those gods didn't even exist. Like weren't the writers of the Bible just making it up like everybody else? Now, if that's you today, and those are the kind of questions that you have, I've got good news for you, because to the question, why should I care, there is a way better answer than because the Bible says so. And if you've never met him before, let me introduce you today for the next number of weeks, someone who can give you a way better answer. His name is Luke. Luke is the writer of those words we just read, and here is why it's so good to get to know Luke. Because when you read what Luke wrote, you begin to realize Luke wasn't asking questions like, who is God? Although that's a great question to ask. He wasn't asking questions like, does God exist? Although that's a great question to ask too. He wasn't even asking a question like, can I trust the Bible? Because while that's a great question and we do try to ask and answer those questions from time to time and make space for people to ask and answer those from time to time because there are reasonable answers to those questions, the truth is Luke wasn't asking any of those questions in his day because in his day there was no the Bible. The Bible. Of the Bible. The Bible was a name given to a collection of writings 300 years after Luke wrote this. Luke wasn't asking, does God exist? Can I trust the Bible? Because to be honest, and some of you know this, those questions are way more often than not off roads from faith than on roads to faith. And when you read Luke, instead you find he was asking a way better question. It's this question, looking at it during this series Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus of Nazareth? And if today you're having any kind of question at all about faith, God, church, Jesus, is it real? Is it fake? Listen, it's natural to ask questions, but you should hear this if you're asking any kind of question. Not all questions are honest. And not all questions are helpful. (laughs) My kids ask me questions all the time that aren't honest or helpful. Like about dinner even. (laughs) And so if kids can ask less than helpful questions about something like dinner, you know, human beings can do that with anything. So if you allow me to suggest this to you because I'm about to right now, you should consider asking this single, more honest, more helpful question about faith. Who was Jesus, because, because, here's why this is so important. Because the the center of the Christian faith, if no one's told you yet, is not a building, although we love our building. The center of the Christian faith is not a book, as important as that book is, and we'll come back to that later. But what's at the center of it all is a person, a person, and in specific, one event that happened to that person roughly 2,000 years ago. One person, Jesus of Nazareth, and one event, the resurrection, are why? any of us are here. And if that one person did not live and that one event did not happen, all of this is a lie and a crock and a fraud. It's deceitful. We are duped like one early Christian writer, Paul, put it. If the resurrection didn't happen, we are to be pitied above all people. We're not here because there was a the Bible. Not because there was such a thing as Christianity. That came kind of later. But we're here because there was a person who was seen alive, then dead beyond a doubt, then alive again. That's what this document from people who were there recorded. And hear me. One more thing here before we get going. In our three points. Yes, that's right. Even if one of what we now call the four gospels, if even one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus is true, if we only had Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, that should be enough to make anyone with questions sit up, listen up, and lean in a little more. So to the question, why should I care, I would respond with, well, who was Jesus? Because if we can answer that at all, we may just get somewhere and maybe, maybe answer what you were really asking all along. So who was Jesus? The answer to that question, I want to see three things that the writer of this document, we call it a letter or a book or a gospel today, but to him it was just a record of stuff that happened. Let's see three things from his prologue, the prologue to what is known as the gospel of Luke. Quickly see three things that I will take you through these. Number one, what Luke is doing. Number two, what he is not doing. See both the sides of that coin. And finally, what Jesus might be doing. And I'll try to explain that when we get there. All right, here we go. Number one, let's take a look at what Luke is doing here. What's he doing? All right. You may know that my wife, Carrie, uh, is a writer. She is the best writer I know. That's right. Of course she is. Also the most beautiful, talented, smart, everything been, I write her, I know. Yes, she's got a second book coming out soon, thank you. And because she is such a good writer, I know she labors over her first words, her first sentence, her first perhaps even word in every chapter. And Luke here, as a writer, if you know anything about Greek grammar structure, as a writer He's done the same thing here. He has labored. He has worked hard to get this first verse right. Out of all the stuff he could have written or said, this is what he puts first. The first word of his account is this. It's the word, many. Many. Many have undertaken to draw up an account. So with this first word, he's letting you know a little bit why he's writing this. He's writing this to add to what has already been written about the life and the person of Jesus. And what has already been written is this, many accounts. Many accounts, why is this important? I'll ask you this, how many is many? How many is many? Think about it, in an age where hardly anybody ever had a biography written about them. Hardly anyone's life record survived antiquity. In an age where we barely know anything about the most important rulers on the planet back then, I mean, even the Roman emperors barely got historical mentions. Here at the great, uh, the Roman governor in Jesus' day, he did incredible things, but he's only got a few little moments in history. And in a day, at an age like that, where if what you did didn't make you any money, if what you did didn't put food on the table, somehow many people drew up accounts about a Jewish day laborer from Galilee. How many accounts of your life do you think will be written when you're gone? Unless you live an extraordinarily long life or you do something really, really good or really, 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 really bad. It's not likely anyone past your own grandkids will know who you are. How many accounts will be written about you? The answer is not many. <laughs> not many. A poor, never married, no kids kind of carpenter from a small town of Galilee had many accounts Written about him and not during his lifetime, by the way. And here's why this point matters. The accounts were only written afterward because of that one event that happened. And it was so big and it was so important that many accounts had to be written. Many accounts, Luke writes, have been written of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now, this translation gives you the word fulfilled. I think a better one is this phrase. Yours may have it. Many things have been believed among us. Luke's saying, many accounts have been written. These accounts have us now believing things, verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were, say this word out loud with me, please, eyewitnesses. Yes, way better than first service. All right, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That phrase, servants of the word, by the way, that's code, for first century Christians, because when Luke wrote this, not everyone who even followed Jesus was called a Christian. Most of them were just considered a member of some strange Nazarene sect that broke off from Judaism. But Luke says there's other accounts written, but it's not just good enough for me to be told. It's not just enough for me to believe the things I've heard just because somebody said so. I want to go beyond... Just have faith for faith's sake. Yes, there's an oral tradition. Yes, there's been things handed down. Yes, there's been other accounts. Luke's saying, I wanted to go beyond all of them. And then Luke, a scientist, by the way, a doctor, drops this, verse three, he says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. He says, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was the recipient of this account. He was possibly Luke's benefactor here. Someone who had believed or had begun to believe the many accounts about Jesus. So what's Luke doing here then for Theophilus, for himself, for everyone? Well, he already said it. Luke is, here's the word, investigating investigating. And we know from his companion volume called the book of Acts that Luke knew the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus Christ personally. He knew Peter, the leader of the first church. So he could ask about Jesus's teachings and travels because Peter taught and traveled with Jesus. And Luke knew James... The brother of Jesus, personally, think about it. I mean, he could ask James all the questions he wanted to about Jesus' background and childhood. Like, what did Mary cook? You know, like, where do they go on vacation? Like, this is why only Luke gives you this story about Jesus being 12 and being left behind. Remember that one? Where Jesus' mom and dad, like, ditch him in church and leave him behind there for three days, and they come back to the building, and he's getting chai tea and eating mince in the lobby. I'm kidding. That's what ha- would happen here. But listen, you'd probably remember that story too if it were your brother or your sister getting stranded for days in another town. You'd remember what it did to your family, what it did to you, and you'd be able to tell someone about it years later. Luke talked with James. Luke talked with Peter. Luke traveled with Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament and who knew all of the original followers of Jesus personally. Luke knew them, talked with them, investigated them. Why? Verse four. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Not so you can guess not so you could have an opinion, not so you could just do your own research and write another article thousands of years later in Time Magazine, discovering the real Jesus. (laughs) Although you're welcome to do that, I suppose. Then Luke has done the research of the people who were there so that you can know who the real Jesus was. Know what Jesus really said. Know how he really lived. Know why he died and when he was resurrected. Looks like a detective, a journalist, a reporter all rolled into one and hear me. If we only had, therefore, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it would be enough for us to know and trust who Jesus was. That's number one What Luke is doing. He's investigating So, for all those with questions, Luke's your guy. For all those who are honestly struggling, Luke is your man. For all those with one foot out the door, let me say this, don't go to Genesis first. Don't even go to Revelation first, don't do that. Talk with Luke first. He's put in the time, he's done the research, he has investigated. Number two though, At the same time, though, Luke's not doing a number of things. And with all that in the background, let let me give you really fast nine things, again, super fast, that Luke is not doing. Luke is, first of all, again, he's not writing the Bible, at least in his mind. And this can't be overstated because Luke had no idea what he was writing would become part of the Bible. How could he? Do you know why we have that, by the way? We have what we call the Bible because 300 years, roughly, after Jesus and Luke lived, after Christians had survived centuries of persecution, finally, one Roman emperor named Constantine came to power. His mother was a Christian. And you may have read about this one night. Famous story. Constantine had a dream and he had a vision about the cross of Jesus. And yeah, it was kind of strange. And you know, Constantine had some weird beliefs. But the point is when he came to power, he lifted the ban on the Christian faith in the Roman Empire. And Christians came out from hiding with their letters and their writings and their documents, which had been copied and copied and copied and they compared and contrasted. And they threw out the ones that had the errors, they kept the ones that didn't, and they compiled writings about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke had no idea any of that would happen. 300 years later, he was just investigating. Therefore, number two, he was also not writing a quote-unquote Bible story. We think of the stories you hear in, in children's church or Sunday school, or even here on the stage about shepherd boys with slings, or men who played with fire, or miracle mothers, and we think, oh, this is like one of those things. No, Luke was not writing a Bible story. He was History, and this is why this was so important for us, and so dangerous to pagan religions. Because when you write stuff like what Luke wrote with dates and times and locations, go look especially in chapters two and three, you drop a pin into history and you invite a fact check of your faith system. And polyatheistic pagan religions did not do this. They never did this. And so as the Christian faith spread in Luke's day, the Romans not only tried to wipe out Christians, they tried to wipe out Christian writings, which invited investigation, which invited conversation, and which actually invited, again here's the word, a deconstruction of the Greco-Roman pantheon of gods and goddesses. Why? Because read it for yourself. Luke wasn't writing stories or myths or Aesop's fables. No. It was eyewitness investigated history. Third, Luke's not trying to appease an authority is what I mean. The only people in his day who had biographies, accounts written about them, typically were the extraordinarily rich and powerful who paid you to write nice things about them. Or off went your head. (laughs) So that they would be remembered well. But Jesus had no money. As As far as we know, Luke never met him. There was no threat from Jesus to Luke's life. No authority to appease. And therefore, number four, again, he's not trying to make any money. It's possible, yes, Theophilus funded this effort, this book. But think about it. There was no New York Times bestseller list. Luke's not going to sell a million copies of this. Go on Oprah, get a book of the month thing happening for him, then get an Instagram account, become an influencer, sell you products, and hop over and get a podcast where you can subscribe and like, subscribe and like, subscribe and like. You know, no. There's no money to be made for an enemy of the empire who claimed there was another king. Fifth, Luke's not. Making it up later. Sometimes you hear this. Listen, it can be argued persuasively, almost without a doubt, that this was written before 70 A.D., within 30 to 35 years of the life of Jesus at most. And here's why you can know this. If you today, if you were to read a history book that ended with no airplanes flying into Twin Towers in New York, you would know that history book had been written before September 11th, 2001. In Luke's day, Herod's temple, the center of the Jewish faith, was destroyed in 70 AD. The biggest destructive event in decades. There's no mention of it from Luke, even while he mentioned other buildings being destroyed. Come on, Luke chapter 13, Tower of Siloam. Luke included names, dates, times, governors, rulers. He's not making it up way later. He was writing it down then. Sixth, Luke's not trying to make something valuable. Think about this. <sighs> Anybody ever been to a hotel and used the hotel safe? Have you ever done that? Okay, some of you are like, I don't know, two of you? Okay, it's cool. <laughs> when you go to a hotel and you put something in the safe, does putting it in the safe make that thing valuable? No, you only put stuff in the safe because it's already valuable. You don't put your, <laughs> you know, Timex. Casio Target watch. Sorry, I love it if you have it in there. And now it increases and it's worth a Rolex or a Breitling or whatever. No, no. Luke's account is not valuable because it's in the Bible. Luke's account was already valuable because of what it contained an investigated. Eyewitness-based account of the life of someone extraordinary. What we call the Bible is valuable like a safe is valuable only because there's valuable stuff in there. Seventh, Luke's not trying to avoid the hard questions. I know when it comes to stuff like this, maybe you have them, you might have a million questions and they are all important. Questions about, again, Genesis are so important. We preach to that here. But listen, for those of you who are college students or you're about to be a student or you know a student, you will get asked questions by a skeptical professor or classmate or person from another faith if you haven't been already. They will ask you What do you really believe about Adam and Eve? How can you believe in a God who, fill in the blank, told Joshua to do what he did? What about women in the Bible? What about homosexuality in the Bible? What about transgender people? Now Luke, he does address some of this, but he doesn't address all of it, but not because he's trying to avoid it. No, he's trying to ask and answer, again, the only question that truly matters, the, the question that lies at the center of the Christian faith, who was Jesus? And any honest conversation about the Bible if it doesn't start with that question, it ought to end up in that place with that question. Luke's not trying to give you an airtight argument for believing the Bible. He's giving you an airtight person to trust with your life. Whose life created the Bible, by the way, not the other way around. Eight. Luke's not trying to get power of you. Luke, if you didn't know, he's not trying to campaign for your vote. Why? Two reasons. Number one, he's dead. <laughs> you could write him in if you want. You may feel like it would go better if you did. I'm not gonna argue with you. Okay. Either way, thank you, all right. Anyway. Luke also wasn't trying to get your vote because he didn't know what voting was. They didn't vote in that day. It was a luxury and a privilege that came down later. People would have for centuries. He only wants to answer the question, who was Jesus? And therefore, number nine, he's not trying to get you to have just faith and faith. He's not trying to write this to get you to have certainty or a belief about what might happen one day. Like, have faith. There's a heaven that you'll go to when you die. No, he wrote not about what he believed would happen. But he wrote because of what did happen, what people saw happen, that had happened. He's aiming you, like he said, at having certainty in truth, not just having faith in faith. Now, if at this point, if all of this is sounding a little different, number one, I told you so a few minutes ago. But number two, if this you're saying this is not at all what I'm used to with stuff about God, faith, church, I understand that, but here's then my question to you now. Why shouldn't it be different? Why shouldn't it be? If Jesus is who he said he was, and we'll see this as we go through this series, if he was, what the people around him who knew him and saw him grow up and heard him and ate with him, if they saw who he was and said this about him, if what these eyewitnesses said was true, well, why Why wouldn't this be different? Why wouldn't Luke be different? Hear me. It would be different. It should be different. Because Jesus is different. Number three, what might he be doing now? Now let's just assume for a minute, even if you don't believe, just for a minute... If you're not sure, just assume with me that Jesus was who Luke said he was. He was a son of God, came from heaven in a body. He lived, he died, he was resurrected and people saw it. I know you might not be there yet. We haven't even got to that part yet. We will. But if you're feeling something a little bit new right now, what might that mean Jesus might be doing in your life right now? you're feeling something, if you're thinking something new, hear me, he just might be, here's the word, reversing reversing, reversing, changing, upending the flow of your life, of culture, of history, and replacing that thing with who he is. Why? Not because he wants power over you. Think about it. If he is God, in a way, he's already got that. All right? But no, he wants you to live for him because he's for you. He loves you. And he came that you could really, 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 really truly live and find life in his name. And Like many of you, I was raised in church and I'm, I'm glad for it. But by the time I got to college, I found I had more questions and answers and certainly more struggles and victories when it came to faith. And I went to the University of Houston, played baseball there. And after I signed The coach was fired. The new coach who didn't know me or know my position put me out in left field to be the backup left fielder. The left fielder at the time was the only living for Jesus Christian on the team. He rarely preached to me. Oh, but his life spoke volumes and his name was Chris. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, Chris invited me to a campus Bible study with a group that's now called Every Nation Campus. And I turned Chris down for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then one time, I gave in. I said, yes, like some of you have done today. There was a special speaker in town that weekend that promised Chris I would go and I did, but he didn't (laughs) because the team went to go play at OU that weekend. Boo, right? (laughs) I was not on the travel team. I didn't get to go with the team that weekend, but I went to the meeting and at the end of the meeting, a speaker, this total and complete stranger, called me up in front of the crowd, maybe about 12 college students there, one of whom would become my wife. Gary, yeah. And as is good night for me, and as the speaker began to say things about me that only, hear me, a supernatural God could know, I began to weep. My internal thoughts, my internal concerns, little sentences I'd had in my brain I had told no one. He repeated out loud, verbatim. He had to hold me up. I was crying so bad. He began to speak to me about what Jesus wanted to do in my life, my past, my present. Never seen anything like it before, but every word, it was all true. I began to experience him. unbelievable Power and presence, and prayed the simple prayer in the moment. God, make me new. It's all I could think of to pray because I had had enough of church and religion and playing games and being fake. I wanted something real if it existed. And that night, Jesus Christ came into my life. It felt like a flood of love and power and mercy and forgiveness and newness all at once. And I walked out of there a changed person, not just with something. But with someone new at the center of my life. Not just, and not just even renew, here's the word reversed. Reversed my own self. It let me down for years. Reversed. My own strength was pretty pathetic, still is. Reversed. My own willpower reversed. What might Jesus be doing? He might be, if you'll give him a chance, if you'll give Luke a chance over these next few weeks, might just be doing the same thing, reversing something, turning something around not just to get you to trust Bible or church or Christianity, all those things are good, we should, but to trust, hear me, Jesus, Jesus. Hope you give him a chance to do for you what he did for James, Peter, Paul, Luke, Mary, me, a whole lot of other people. Reverse, turn something around in your life. Let me take a moment and pray for you. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I pray you'd meet us as we now begin to close. Lord, I'm praying that not one person would walk out of here today. They don't know you without taking a time or to surrender their life to you and experience the reversal that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, the King. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.